Hello, I'm Carrie Ann. Welcome to another service with Pastor Ray Dieter at Grace Baptist Church. Please check out our website, gbcevansville.org. There, you'll find videos of our youth and children's services, daily devotions, and other ministries our church has to offer. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings for an in-person service where we'll practice social distancing and follow safety guidelines. Now, let's hear what Pastor Ray has to say. How's that? Um, I think my stomach shut it off. Um, there are mission dignity envelopes in the pew in front of you in case you didn't notice those. And so you can uh, bring that back next Sunday and put it in next Sunday. We'll receive that anytime. Uh, and uh, it's one of the better things that we as a convention are able to do. Also, I'd like to thank last Sunday I made a big deal out of Robert having a fan, and this Sunday I have one. Somebody gave me a fan, so whoever that was, appreciate that, and, uh, and uh, we, will, we will use that. Uh, well, it is good to see you this morning. I've got my phone on vibrate in case Miss Joanna needs me, and I don't know if I'll hear it vibrate, but I'll leave it there. Appreciate everybody that's been praying for her. She's doing much, much better. Uh, she's at that point where they're beginning to space out the pain medication, so that's a helpful item for her. We were not able this year, because of her surgery, to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't believe we would have went anyway. It was in Anaheim, California, and I don't see any need to go to the land of fruit and nuts. And, uh, <laughs> but we have always gone. I suppose in the last 30 years, I've missed uh, two conventions maybe. Uh, but one year, I was pastor at Faith Southern, and uh, I preached the 9 a.m. service, then I preached the 10.30 service, and then we hopped in the car and we started uh, to Orlando, Florida, to the Southern Baptist Convention. And our intention was to drive all night. Uh, about eight hours down the road, I realized that was not feasible. I was having trouble staying awake. I was having trouble keeping it between the lines. And I was extremely hungry. And so we stopped at a little Georgia town uh, and checked into a motel. And I asked the fellow, I said, I know it's late, but we haven't eaten. Is there anywhere here that would still be open? And he said, well, yeah, there's a place over right near the exit from the interstate that is open till 9 p.m. And I looked at my watch, and it was heading toward 9 p.m. So we jumped in the car, and we rushed over there. And I, I went in, and I asked the fellow, I said, I know it's just a few minutes till 9. Uh, are you still serving? And he said, well, I tell you what, if you don't mind, uh, he said, you can come in, and we'll go ahead and serve you. But we'll be cleaning up the restaurant and replenishing the salt shakers and all things we do. Well, that, uh, if you don't mind, I said, no, no, that, if you're willing. So we went in and we ordered and they actually locked the door after we got in there. And they were walking all around us and we ate and had a good meal. It was very good. And when we left, by then it was uh, 9.30, 9.40 at night. And when we went out, they literally shut the door behind us, locked it, and turned off the lights in the dining room and the si sign out front had been off. And so there we stood in the parking lot, just Joanna and I, and uh, 
I said, well, I, I appreciate them doing that. That was really good. And I went to get in the car and took out my keys. And I got the fob. That was the first car I ever had that had the fob. And I pushed the button and nothing happened. Nothing. Joanne said, I, and she tried the door. She said, it didn't unlock. So I pushed the button again. Nothing happened. Third time, supposed to be the charm, it still didn't unlock. And I went into panic mode. I said, good grief, here we are. It's, it's coming on 10 o'clock. They've closed up. They've probably left. There's no way to get back in. The whole, whole parking lot's empty. It's just us. And, and I can't get in the car because the battery's dead on my, my clicker and I can't get the thing to open and I don't know what we're going to do. And I'm just in panic state and I'm, I'm going on and on and on. And I said, you know, this, this is bad. I said, you know, it's four or five miles of the motel. And, 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 and uh, Joanne just patiently let me vent. And finally she said, why don't you use the key? <laughs> yeah. So I used the key. Here's the deal. I've had a lot of people that express to me uh, concern about the way things are going right now uh, in our nation and in the world. And, and, and I see a lot of Christians that talk, and they're kind of like I was at WatchFob. They are, they are kind of in a mode of, of, of what are we going to do? Uh, how's this going to happen? Is this the end? Are we near the end? And uh, they need to be reminded that they have the key. And that key is prayer. I want us to go and look at one of the great prayers of the Bible. We've looked at this before. But it's found in the book of Daniel, the sixth chapter. And we're going to look a little bit at the second chapter in, uh, of Daniel. Uh, in the sixth chapter of Daniel, uh, the king over Babylon has appointed 120 men who are to rule over the nation. And then over those, he has appointed three, what the scripture calls governors, who are over that 120, who are over the nation. And one of those is a young Hebrew boy named Daniel. Uh, well, really not so young at this point, actually. But one of them is, a, is Daniel. And uh, Daniel distinguishes himself. So much so that the king is considering, I'm just going to put Daniel over the other two governors and over the 120. Now, the scripture says at that point, these governors and satraps, they, they immediately come together and they said, what are we going to do about this Daniel? He's, he, the king's about to make, give him all authority. And it, it, it proves to you in scripture that politicians have never changed. The main thing they're concerned about is keeping power for themselves. These guys say, how are we going to get rid of this guy? And, and, and they look at him and they say, well, there's no fault we can find with him. He's not ever taken a bribe. He's never done anything illegal. He has always had the king's best interest at heart and has always done what was best for the kingdom. So how are we going to trap this guy? And it begins in that fifth verse. It says, and then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we can find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and they said, King Darius, live forever. 
All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. They figure out, well, the only way we can trap him is through his faith. Somehow we have to turn his faith against him. And so they they come up with this law that for 30 days you can't pray to any god other than the king. And they have the king sign that into law and into a law that cannot be revoked or changed, the law of the Medes and the Persians. So now they figure, we've got Daniel. I want you to look at the next verse. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel knew what they had signed. Daniel knew the penalty was death. But in his courageous faith in the one true God, he went home, opened the windows as he always did, faced toward Jerusalem as he always did, and prayed three times a day as he always did. He was not moved and changed by the law that they had established, and he still offered prayer and praise to his God. And, and, and so, what that tells us and what we need to understand is that Daniel, prayer was a central, integral part of his life. If he didn't pray, he didn't feel right. If he didn't pray, he felt separated from God. If he didn't pray, he felt he was not fulfilling his obligations before a holy God. And so he made prayer a regular part of his life. Uh, he prayed in, in, in time of crisis. If you go back to the second chapter, in the second chapter of Daniel, it tells the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the previous, one of the previous kings, and that Nebuchadnezzar was having a, a, a dream, and it was a very disturbing dream, so much so that it, it, uh, it troubled him. It made him toss and turn as he was having the dream. And then when he awoke from the dream, he remembered the dream and he found it very disturbing. And he, and he couldn't find an answer of why he had this continuing recurring, uh, recurring dream, why it would be that this was going on. And so he called for all the wise men of the land. And he asked them to come in. And he told them, he said, look, I've not been sleeping well at night. And I am troubled during the day because of this disturbing dream that I'm having. And what I want you to do is tell me the dream and tell me what it means. Now their response was, well, tell us what the dream is and then we'll tell you what it means. King says, no, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. You, you, to prove that you know what you're doing, to prove that you, you understand, to prove that you have this wisdom, you tell me what I'm dreaming. And then I'll believe you when you tell me what the dream means. And of course their response was, well, nobody can do that. Nobody can tell you what you're dreaming. You have to tell us the dream and then we'll tell you what it means. 
Nebuchadnezzar was firm. He said, I will not do that. You must tell me the dream first, and that will prove to me that I should believe your interpretation. And if you don't, I'm just going to do away with you and get a whole bunch of new guys. In other words, he was going to put them to death. He said, I'm going to have you executed, and then I'll get some other wise men to come in who can tell me the dream and tell me what the dream means. Well, among those was a much younger Daniel than we read about in chapter 6. And I want you to listen to what happened in chapter 2, verse 16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way that they might seek mercies from God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So, here's what he does. He goes and he prays. He says to the king, give me time. Let me go to my God and ask him to give me wisdom to tell you the dream and tell you the interpretation of the dream. And he enlists these three brothers to pray with him that it might be revealed to him. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel also blessed the God of heaven. Now there, there is Daniel in the midst of a crisis. His life is at stake. The king has said, if you can't tell me these things, you along with these other wise men will be put to death. So in the midst of that crisis, what does he do? He doesn't go, oh, woe is me. This is terrible. What are we going to do? I have no idea where to turn. He knows exactly where to turn. He says to the king, just give me a little time, and I will seek from the one true God of heaven what the dream is and what the dream means. So in the midst of the crisis, there's no panic. He simply says, I'm going to go to God. You see, in times of crisis, I can't think of anywhere better to go. I can't, I can't imagine uh, any other answer than the answers that come from God. So when you're in the midst of that li life crisis, and you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you need to go to the Lord. Family problems, financial problems, health problems, I don't care what it is. When you face that crisis, don't go, oh, woe is me, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, and panic, and go into panic mode. Rely on God and say, I'm taking this to the Lord. I'm going to bring it before the throne of God. But the important thing to notice about Daniel is not so much how he prayed in the midst of the crisis, but the fact that he prayed every day. His prayer life was regular. If you read that passage we read this morning, where it talks about him when he went home, he went into his upper room, he opened the door, he bowed down and he faced Jerusalem, and he prayed three times. Catch that next phrase, as was his custom since early days. From the time he was a small lad until now when he's a mature man, prayer has been a part of his life. And for too many Christians, prayer is just a time when, boy, there's a crisis, I better talk to God. When we need to talk to Him each and every day. 
And we need to listen to Him each and every day through His Word and as we pray. When we do that, then things in the world change. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, I want you to notice something about Daniel's daily prayer life. It was systematic. He had a regular place. He went to his room and he prayed there. He had a place that was quiet. He would not be interrupted there. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie War Room, but it's a wonderful movie. And the lady who's the central heroine of the story, she has a room where she goes and that's what her prayer room. Now, I don't know if you can dedicate a whole room in your home to that, but you can dedicate your heart to it and say, this is the place where I'm going to spend time with God. And it can be anywhere. Listen, don't text and drive, but it don't hurt to pray and drive. Okay. Uh, You can do that. And you need to have that regular place. You need to have a a, a regular time. on Sunday mornings, uh, most mornings, but especially on Sunday mornings, I pray before I get out of bed because of what's going to happen in that day. My prayer schedule may vary from day to day because my schedule varies from day to day. But it is always built in somewhere. Uh, I have even at times made my list of things to do for tomorrow and put one o'clock, pray, three o'clock, pray. Jerusalem, by the way, he prayed facing Jerusalem because they believed that's where God was in the temple in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed. Uh, but it's not so much where we face as we, as we look towards heaven and know that our answers to the problems and the difficulties of life do not come from this world. There's nothing here, no, no politician that can deal with all the different things that we face in our lifetime. But God knows each and every one, and He can deal with each and every one. Um, He had a place to purposely pray, and He did it regularly three times a day, and He had a regular attitude. He knelt. Now, when we pray here as a group, Nick led us this morning, we stood, didn't we? Now, the position is not what's important, it is the attitude. He knelt before a holy God, recognizing the authority and the power of God. We stand during corporate prayer here to honor the power and the authority of God and His sovereignty. And when you come with prayer, you need to have that humility built in that Lord Listen, here's what I'd like you to do, but Lord, you're God, and I'm going to live with what you do do, all right? Lord, I will accept what you do, and I will bring before you these praise and this honor and know that you are a just and holy God, and then I can rely on your answer to be true and to be right. I may not like it, but it will be true and it will be right. Uh, And so we need to bring that attitude before the Lord. Um, I was in a little old church in Tennessee one time, and the fellow prayed, and God loved his soul. Everything was a demand. God, do this. God, do that. Uh, 
I'm not real big on that. Uh, it is, Lord, here, make your will known. Do your will. Lead us. You're God, and I'm not. And help me recognize that and remember that and live in that fashion. Look, I, the other thing about Daniel that's very important is that he prayed with assurance. He went before God in that second chapter, and he, he tells, uh, he tells uh, the king, let, let, let me go and see that and ask God for this answer. He believed that the only way that he could do this was if God answered and revealed to him. And he believed God would. And he did a very important thing. Uh, he enlisted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pray with him. That's why important out in the foyer, you'll find a prayer list front and back, shut-ins, people who are financially, uh, uh, physically, emotionally, all kinds of situations to pray for. Back in 1995, Joanna was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. And I never will forget that doctor coming out, the neurologist, and she told me, she said, this is the fifth case I've seen this year, and the other four have all died. My children and I gathered around her bed in a prayer circle, and we began to call every Christian we knew and ask them to pray for Joanna. Those folks began to call people they knew to pray for Joanna. After 30 days in the hospital and a radical brain surgery, she recovered. We praise God for that. But the amazing thing to me out of that was over the next year, everywhere I'd go, whether it was to a state meeting or even the Southern Baptist Convention, I would meet people and I'd tell them, I'm Ray Dieter, you know, from Clay City, Indiana. And they'd say, you could see their minds begin to work. Dieter, Dieter, Dieter. Is your wife Joanna? Yeah. Our church had her on the prayer list. I had her on my daily prayer list. People I never even recruited, but who were recruited by others to pray. It, it is an integral part of the life of this church that we pray for each other. And if, if, here's how you can do that. If, and I've, I've mentioned this before. If you're not doing it, get a directory. Take that directory, pray a page a day, two pages a day, three pages a day. You don't know everything that's going on in everyone's life, but you go down here and here's so-and-so. Lord, I pray for them. I, I know they're having some difficulties. He's out of work right now. I pray for that. Here's so-and-so, Lord. They haven't been to church for about a month. I, I pray for them. Pray for each other. And pray together in tune. That's why there's a prayer list, because we are all agreeing in prayer on the things that are in that list. Now, I would tell you, uh, if my foot wasn't bad this morning, I'd do a dance. Because this week, we saw the answer of 50 years of prayer of millions of not just Southern Baptists, but Christian people. 
It took a while because God was changing the hearts of people and men and women. I saw a lady with a sign that says I, she was in her 20s, it looked like, and said, I'm a part of the post-abortion generation. And finally, judges who understand the Constitution in the United States made a good decision. But never, never doubt this. This is not a political issue. It is a moral issue. And we should be praying for those who are out there protest, protesting because they are lost. And no one's irrevocably lost, but they are defiantly lost. And they need our prayers. It took a while. I mentioned here before that our oldest son, Joanna, prayed for him from the day he was born until he was saved 28 years, until he accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so God will hear and God will respond. Don't be disappointed when it's not in our timing. It is in his timing that he hears and he responds. Uh, and he answers, yes, no, maybe my grace is sufficient for you. It, integral part of all this is found back in the second chapter of Daniel. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in the night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Most of us would have said, hey, king, I got to see you right now. God's revealed this to me. I got the answer. I'm not going to get killed. <laughs> right now, king, go in the middle of the night. Wake up, king, wake up. I know what's going on. That's not what Daniel does. He says, in, the, in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. I thank you and praise you, O God of our fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. First place he went was right back to God. And he, and he begins by praising God. He said, there is nobody like you, God. No one can stand to your power and authority. No one has the creating ability you have. Nobody shows your justice and mercy. And he gives God glory and honor and praise. And then he says, thank you, Lord. For you have revealed the dream to me that I might tell it to the king. When you pray, don't forget that element. He is a God that is to be praised. At one point, Jesus says, I'm thankful, Lord, you've heard my prayer before he even raises Lazarus. We need to give him praise and thanks, even when the answer is not quite what we expected, even when the answer takes 50 years. We give him praise because he is always 
always at work. And his will will always come to fruition. Listen. I could list a long list of things that you could do in the midst of the crises and difficulties we're facing in life as individuals and as a nation right now. But none of them matter or amount to anything compared to your ability as a Christian to come before the throne of God and bring Him your prayer concerns. There's nothing quite like it. I got a text on my phone this week. Phone company's going to raise it $6 a month due to this, that, or the other. And then it also said, I'd used all, I have unlimited data, but I had used up my high-speed data. And so for the next few days, it was going to be restricted, and it would be slower finding things on, on my phone on the Internet. God never raises a price, and He never restricts us our access. If our hearts are right with Him, and we are a child of God, His grace is always open, and His channel is always there, and you can, you can talk to Him anytime. And the most amazing thing is you can be completely, absolutely honest with God. In fact, I would recommend that. He knows the desires of our heart. He knows the shading of, of, of uh, disobedience is sometimes there. He knows the, 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 our commitment to Him. Nobody knows you like He does. And nobody listens like He does. And nobody can do what He can. Our Heavenly Father, we pray in, the, in these very difficult times, that we as Christians will remember the greatest tool that you have given us, the greatest gift other than our salvation, is that we can approach you through the throne of grace. Indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we can bring our prayers before you. And pray that each of us mature to that point that, as the Scripture says, you can give us the desires of our heart because the desires of our heart match you. Thanks again for joining us for another service with Grace Baptist Church. Connect with us using the social media links on our website, gbcevansville.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week.